a uh, Christian leader that uh, many of us uh, read today is uh, Tim Keller. How many of you are familiar with him and his, any of his work? Uh, I like to read his books, and um, until recently he was pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. But uh, Keller proposes that there are two different approaches related to living the Christian life. He says there are those who in their heart of hearts say, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. And then there are those whose basic operating principle is, I am accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. Now which of these sounds most like you? I obey, therefore I'm accepted, or I am accepted, therefore I obey. But I note that Pastor Keller put it this way, in their heart of hearts. You see, uh, we, can, we can know the right answer biblically, but it doesn't mean that we operate that way in the depths of our hearts. And so this morning we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. And um, I think he can direct us and to um, give us the assurance we need uh, to get that part as we should. And so let's, uh, let's look together at Philippians chapter 3 and we'll read from verses 7 to 11. <clears throat> Verse uh, 9 here is like a summary. And you will notice that uh, the word righteousness here is used two times. Uh, not having a righteousness of my own. But then at the bottom of the verse, the righteousness rather that comes from God on the basis of faith. As we look at this verse, there are three expressions here that I want to uh, use as a frame of the consideration. Uh, the expression, not of my own. In terms of having righteousness, not my own. Uh, secondly, through faith, and then finally from God. Paul says he wants to be found having a righteousness not his own. Now that's a, that's a pretty interesting expression. You can imagine if you read this for the very first time. What in the world is he saying here? He wants, he wants to be found not to have a righteousness of his own. That would seem kind of strange. What does he mean then? He wants borrowed righteousness, least pilfered. Uh, you know, we're probably so used to this that it doesn't, really, uh, it doesn't really strike us as that strange. But can you imagine anyone uh, wanting, this is what he wants, standing before a judge and hoping that the judge will say, this person doesn't have any personal righteousness. And then Paul has preceded all of this with all the reasons that he might go on record as having really achieved a lot of merit. He gives his brief autobiography, and if there was ever anyone who could claim to be righteous according to the Old Testament standards, it would be Paul. 
He says he was circumcised on the exact required day. He was truly of Jewish stock. He was from a tribe that was especially honored. He belonged to the most orthodox of Jewish parties, the Pharisees. He had even studied under Gamaliel, the most celebrated teacher. He had kept the Mosaic law perfectly, blameless, he says, in obedience to it. Further, he had been most zealous in his own religion, even to the point of persecuting the church. And yet he says that all of these special advantages, all of these religious achievements are nothing in themselves. That's what he's saying. In fact, he goes so far as to say that they have negative value. But whatever, verse 7, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them garbage, rubbish for the landfill. Now why? Why would he consider all these things of such negative value? And he doesn't say directly. But there's this expression here that tells us that I might gain Christ. That is given as a contrast. Somehow I, I don't hear myself all the time. How is it coming across? Huh? Down here? Okay. Make it more secure. Okay, that sounds better. Uh, on the R Damascus Road is where he had encountered the Lord. And uh, at that point, his sense of what really mattered was turned upside down. Uh, his highest priority changed, and that was to really know Christ. But until he met him on that Damascus Road, he was blind to all this. And... <laughs> There's almost a, a paradox here because it almost took a physical blindness for him to be able to see spiritually. But his religious pursuit within his system had stood in the way of him really knowing Christ. And so he's able to, he sees all of these then as of negative value. Uh, I don't think it's his rich heritage that is negative but it was the fact that he relied on all that and that it interfered with him really knowing the Lord. I think by way of relating it to us this morning and relating it to life for the average Canadian and for people who are Christian in one way or another, uh, any religious system even good observances can sidetrack us from what is most important. Any man-made rule, any ritual, uh, even things that are good in themselves, they can, they can become sort of like an opiate that dulls our awareness of our need. And it can even be good spiritual disciplines that we recommend. You know, taking time to pray, taking time to read the Word. And ironically, I suppose, even a sure-footed understanding that we are saved by grace and not by good works, even, even that can become almost like something we're relying on, you know? 
I'm, 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 I'm really doing good because I understand grace, you see, which becomes almost like a form of self-reliance. But the gospel is about reliance on Christ and what he has done. So do we have a part to play? Well, that brings me to the second expression where he, 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 he wants to be found not having a righteousness of his own, but rather one that comes through faith. And again, this is emphasized in this verse, mentioned two times, but that, the righteousness that is through faith, and then the last part of the verse, from God on the basis of faith. Faith, believing. I suppose the best known verse in all of Scripture would be John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should have eternal life. Paul is saying here, not having a righteousness that is of my own, but the one that comes through faith, on the basis of faith. See, when it's from the law, it was based on adherence to that code or system, especially the ability to live by it. Uh, and, And so you looked at that. But faith by its very nature, looks away from self. In my early years of being a Christian, I sometimes struggled because I looked too much at faith. You see, faith, by definition, shouldn't be looking at faith. (laughs) It should be looking outward. That's part of the problem when we're relying on something else. We're looking at that. We're looking inward, looking at ourselves. But faith looks away from me. And also in the overall biblical context, saving faith isn't simply believing the right things, but of course it's commitment. It's, 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 it's making a move. It's, it's acting on it. Um, putting belief into, uh, into action. Faith is when we entrust ourselves to something. I think a very good analogy is that of uh, boarding an airplane. Uh, you commit yourself. And that's faith. Uh, Faith in the airlines. Faith in the pilot. Some of you have been traveling a lot lately. Uh, uh, The critical thing is that you boarded. (laughs) You might be very scared. (laughs) You might be be nervous about it. Uh, You might be be sick because there's turbulence and all the rest of it. But your faith isn't about your feelings at that point. It isn't even about the sureness and the confidence that all is well. Your faith depends on simply being on board, right? That's the important thing. You are on board. <laughs> and, and sometimes our faith is like that. You know, we don't have strong faith. We might be anxious, but we made that commitment. Uh, and trusting ourselves to Christ. I remember uh, hearing many years ago Billy Graham saying that if Christ goes down, I go down with him. And that's, that's, that's kind of the way it is. You see, maybe our confidence is only 98%. Maybe it's all a myth, whatever. Well, okay, if it goes down, I go, I go down too. I'm fully committed to this airplane. I'm fully committed to Christ. And I'm with Him. And so it's faith then, that initial starting point of saving faith is my yes. Saying yes to Jesus Christ. But then as we grow we begin to realize more and more that 
growing faith, living by faith, is realizing that, my goodness, I'm so far from righteous in my own way. We experience failures. We experience, whoops, I did it again. We realize that it's, that it's only because of what he has done for me. That's faith. I, I recall when I was... <clears throat> eight years old, and I was very concerned about, about this. I was a normal boy. And I was talking to my mom about that, and we got it sort of straightened out that when I confessed my sins and asked for forgiveness, then I was clean. Then I would go to heaven if I died, okay? So then I realized, according to that, that if I died at nighttime, I'd be okay because I had confessed all my sins, right? But should I die in the middle of the day? Maybe not because I may have done something wrong and failed to confess it. Well, that's a childlike, childlike kind of faith. I cannot measure up, I cannot be sure that I've confessed all my sins, that I have asked for forgiveness for all my sins. Of course not. That's not ultimately what it's about. We need to confess our sins to carry on, to live right. But our salvation, hey, we're on that plane if we have really said yes to Christ, and we may have lots of feelings that are up and down. When it's by faith, I am humbly counting on God's mercy. Even as we, we sing in many of our very common old hymns, on Christ, and we're going to sing that later, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Also that one, nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. Nothing in my hands I bring. Not my f strong faith even. Faith is simply having connected with him and saying, you're going to have to do it. It's all about you. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Faith then becomes that weak hand that reaches out and connects me with Christ so that he can share his merits with me. Well, that brings me to the next consideration, a righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness that depends on faith, it says in verse 9 here, it comes from God. It is his gift given to us. It's provision for us when we link up with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Our son Jonathan spent uh, a year in California. Uh, he was, I guess he would have been about 22 years old. He was working with a mission that uh, provided group homes for kids in trouble with the law. And the way that the California system worked is if there was a Christian mission that wanted to provide this, they were given some money, about, you know, given money from the government because they were, they were doing the kind of uh, ministry that the government would otherwise have to take care of. And uh, so this was a Christian uh, group home. And uh, these who were in trouble with the law, usually it was uh, drug-related but uh, one day, Jonathan discovered that there was an extra $1,000 in his bank account that he couldn't account for. Now, uh, because it was Jonathan, he's the kind of person who's always been careful with figures. He understands figures. He married an accountant, and uh, he could have easily been an accountant himself. If it had been our other son, I don't know if he would have even noticed that he had an extra $1,000, you know. 
But Jonathan noticed it. He checked it out. He talked to the bank. And uh, there was no evidence of any bank error. And so even to this day, he doesn't know what happened. Perhaps somebody had anonymously deposited their money into his account intentionally. But it didn't come from his earnings. It was not put there by him. It was credited to his account from another source. And that's the way it is here with Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died for the sins of the whole world. And that means that when our faith is in Him, when we board on that airline, when our faith is in Him, then through Him, God grants us unearned righteousness as a gift. It's a grant. Righteousness is credited to our account. He bore our sin on the cross. He took our guilt. And now we can receive righteousness because of that and because of Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, an amazing text about a great exchange. It says that for our sake, He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We give Him guilt, and through Him, God grants us righteousness. Therefore, we are accepted as clean, forgiven, and righteous before him on the basis of what he has done. And it's a gift. It's from God. And so Paul is counting on that kind of righteousness rather than anything that comes from his own goodness. I have another anecdote from flying. This person writes about her experience on a plane. And uh, on this particular plane, she and the household that was with her, they were bumped up to first class. <laughs> kind of nice. But they were bumped up to first class. And so they decided to sort of play a game amongst themselves. And they were looking at all the other passengers and they were kind of guessing, a guessing game. I wonder who else doesn't really belong here, you know? <laughs> who else has just been bumped up here? And that's the way it is with grace. It's kind of like it's kind of like none of us really belong here. We've just simply been bumped up to first class because it's a gift from God. And uh, and you know what is really what is amazing and wonderful about that too? That just like this lady on the airline, they probably came from all walks of life, and there's probably some that were poor and some that were wealthy and all the rest of it. Some first class people were probably very wealthy, and they always flew first class. Who knows? But around the cross, you see, there's room for all kinds together because we are all in that same category. None of us really belong here. We have been bumped up to first class, and it's because of grace. And you know, I'm, I'm glad it's that way. I can, I can mention two reasons right away. The one is that we can be confident of our standing before God. <laughs> I can be just as confident in the middle of the day when I'm having difficulties and when I'm not proud of the way I'm, I'm, I'm handling things. Or as that eight-year-old, you know, uh, during the day, or that eight-year-old at nighttime when he has confessed everything. I can be fully confident because it's not based on what I'm doing or how I'm handling things right now. 
And so that, and that's the only way that we can be completely confident, because it's based on Him, based on His gift. But there's another thing too, and I mentioned that before. It's that equalizing factor. See, it doesn't matter what our personal history has been. We are invited. We are invited. And when you think of Paul, yes, he had all these achievements under the Old Testament system. He had, he had done it totally well, perfectly almost. And yet he was a persecutor of the church. And so he sees himself in another context of the most sinful kind of a person. And because it's by grace, we are all invited to say yes to him, whether we've lived a good life or we've lived a terrible life. And even those prisoners who are on death row, even those prisoners who deserve to be on death row, they are invited and they can say yes. Well, does that mean that loose living is okay? <clears throat> I mean, if it's not about personal obedience or human effort, then it doesn't really matter how I live. Is it just insurance? You know, I've accepted Christ as Savior, and since I'm saved by grace, I might as well live selfishly. But here we check in with Paul again. He says in verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Yes, because he is saved, because he is accepted by God, he obeys. And it's not, his salvation isn't contingent on his perfect obedience. But he's got a different kind of a heart. And he wants to please the Lord. And he talks about both his death and resurrection. Even as in Christ he died to sin, he wants to make that his experience. And even as in Christ he rose, and ultimately will literally rise, he wants to make that resurrection power part of his life so that he can live as he ought to live. Die to sin, die to selfishness, and serve others and live under the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And so being focused on Christ, his gaze is outward. I don't want to propose here as a practical thing here. I suggest that when in our hearts we realize that it's all about the Lord Jesus, it's not about our flawless living, that our right standing is a grant that's credit to us, then we are free, freed from an unhealthy introspection. We can be so taken up with looking inward and seeing the mess there realizing that our motives at best aren't always what they should be. We can be freed from an unhealthy introspection. Sure, we have to evaluate, of course. We have to be open to God drawing attention to certain things. But there can be a health, un, a health, an unhealthy introspection. And when we realize it's all about what he has done, we can be looking outward and try to be helpful to people. And I think that frees us to be more focused on others because we're not so taken up with how well we're doing ourselves. I suggest that ironically we can have better obedience because we're less preoccupied with 
that unattainable, flawless obedience. We're just not going to be able to do that. So we might as well be looking outward. Uh, Tullian Chavidian is a grandson to uh, Billy and Ruth Graham. And uh, he wrote this while he was pastor of uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida. <clears throat> and this is what he said. Ironically, I've discovered the more I focus on my need to get better, the worse I actually get. I become self-absorbed, the exact opposite how the Bible describes what it means to be sanctified. Because he said, sanctification means growing in, in Christ-likeness. Sanctification is forgetting about you. I think he's right. The more I concentrate on getting better, the worse I get. So look outward. When we spend more time thinking about ourselves and how we're doing than we do about Jesus and what he's done, we shrink. And then he concludes his article with a story of an old pastor who on his deathbed told his wife that he was certain he was going to heaven because he couldn't remember one truly good work he had ever done. He says, blessed self-forgetfulness. I think that's true. And so let's renounce that residual tendency so often in our hearts to think, I must obey so that I can be accepted by God, but rather the approach, I am accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. Therefore I look outward for others. Therefore I serve, confident that I'm in him. Even as the hymn writer, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this grace, and we pray that we might get it, that increasingly our confidence might be in what you have done for us. And then on that basis that we can be freed to revel in that, to rejoice in that, to be grateful for that, and then to look outward and find ways of serving others who you love and who you want to see and to hear and to understand that gospel of grace. And Father, we pray that even as we gather around the table, we might truly enjoy, we might truly rejoice in and be committed to that grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.